at Tarrant, we organize webinars that we are pleased to share on our podcast channel and on our website www.arrent.com. The following webinar is the second of our real estate series webinars, this time focusing on valuation and liquidity for real estate funds in a post-COVID-19 environment. It was recorded on the 25th of June 2020 with our experts Pierre Baisel, partner at Arendt and Medernard, Rodrigo Delcourt, partner at Arendt and Medernard, and Gertian Merkerk from Prologis. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for joining this, uh, this uh, session uh, this afternoon. Uh, so you have a lot of courage with this uh, beautiful weather, uh, at least in, in, in Europe. Um, we'll try to make it an interesting and uh, profitable session for you guys. Uh, the subject today is uh, valuation and liquidity considerations in open-ended uh, uh, real estate funds. Um, so we announced that during our last uh, last seminar. So you, uh, for those of you who have attended, uh, you may remember that we, uh, our intent is to launch a series of seminars on on, on real estate funds. So this is the, the second one in the in in, uh, in that series. So let me try to introduce the the, the subject very quickly. Um, uh, it's it's an interesting subject in the sense that. Uh, there is this um, uh, contradiction uh, in uh, uh, open-ended real estate funds in, 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 the, in the sense that an open-ended fund uh, uh, is a fund where uh, investors can either uh, on, a daily, on a daily basis or on a regular basis redeem their shares, and uh, the illiquid, illiquid uh, nature of the, the assets of the fund. So how does that fit together? How uh, uh, how does that work? And that's we're going to try to answer to that question uh, during the next, uh, let's say, uh, 40 minutes, and you'll have uh, five minutes to uh, ask questions at the at the end. Uh, I'm uh, um, uh, I'm joined in this uh, uh, webinar by uh, um, uh, by my partner Rodrigo Delcourt. Uh, um, who is a partner in the uh, Alternative Investment Fund Department of Arendt. But maybe, Rodrigo, um, maybe you can say a couple of words about yourself and your practice. Yeah. Uh, okay, very quickly. So, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, indeed, for those who, who know me, well, uh, those who don't know me, I, I'm a partner at Arendt. Um, my practice um, is mainly alternative funds. Uh, I'm dealing um, in a uh, in majority with real estate funds, and also uh, I have an exposure to private equity in a wide sense, including um, uh, renewable energies, infrastructure, and, and VC to a minor extent. So um, over the years, I've um, been um, focusing a lot on, on real estate funds, and uh, um, I advise a number of managers, uh, in particular on, on open-ended uh, real estate funds. So. Uh, a number of questions that we are going to address today um, are uh, questions that uh, uh, we have been uh, um, talking through in the past few months. And um, 
uh, along with me. So you can yeah, and uh, uh, along with, with us, uh, we have the, uh, the pleasure to welcome Gertian uh, Merkek from uh, Prologis, um, uh, who um, has also substantial experience in real estate funds and uh, in the open-ended real estate funds. And I would again uh, ask uh, Gertian if he can say a couple of words uh, about himself and uh, uh, what he does in his day-to-day uh, uh, -day life. Sure. Uh, thanks for taking part in this and for the invite. Uh, people who don't know uh, uh, Prologis is our company. We are a, uh, by origin, New York Stock Exchange listed company. We are a global uh, owner, operator, and developer of industrial real estate. So just think about the big warehouses that you see at airports, but also these days very close to city centers uh, for all the parcel delivery in the in the e-commerce world. Uh, that that's that's a very hot topic. Uh, we are in uh, North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. And as of December uh, last year, we covered 90 million square meters of warehouse space, which is which is uh, quite a bit, in uh, 19 countries, and we have five and a half thousand tenants in these uh, properties. So more zooming into uh, Europe uh, and actually giving some uh, flavor of what we're probably here for. 95% uh, of the assets we own in Europe are in so-called co-investment vehicles and uh, our main uh, uh, flagship in this Prologis European Logistics Fund owns the lion's share of that and has uh, 12 billion under, uh, under management. That fund was uh, set up in 2007 and uh, of course it needs an, uh, it is an AAF, needs an authorized AFM and I'm board member of uh, that AIFM, so uh, involved with the fund on a day-to-day uh, -day business. I'm working for Prologis since 2000, so that's almost 20 years in September. Back to you, Pierre. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gertjan. Um, so my name is Pierre Beistel. I'm uh, also a partner in the Alternative uh, uh, Investment Fund uh, Department of Arendt, uh, and I'm in charge of coordinating the real estate activities of, uh, of, of Arendt. Um, so now let's dive into the let's dive into the subject for so open-ended real estate funds again. I mentioned the uh, the uh, intrinsic and inherent uh, contradiction uh, of those funds. Um, uh, still, is an uh, is a fund category which uh, has uh, success. Uh, it's uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't have so much success as closed-ended funds for for certain reasons, uh, and we we'll come to we we'll come to those. Uh, which are which is logical to to a certain extent. Um, uh, it's uh, a category of funds which was um, hit severely during the 2008 crisis, financial crisis, um, but which has recovered quite well. It's um, uh, uh, as usual. The United States have, have quite an advance uh, in that area. So there are. Uh, many more assets under management uh, in the United States than in Europe uh, in, uh, in open-ended real estate funds. Uh, Europe again has an advance on Asia in that, in that area, uh, but uh, I believe that Europe has quite some potential for European open-ended real estate funds and that we will see more of those in the, in the future. 
Um, of course, we are now in um, in a COVID situation, uh, COVID crisis. I, I, I would like to say post-COVID crisis, but I don't think we are there yet. So it's still the COVID crisis. Uh, one uh, has to say that before the COVID crisis um, in 2019, uh, open-ended real estate funds have um, have seen uh, inflows, record inflows. I think there were. Um, the highest uh, the, the highest inflows were in 2008, 2016, and 2019, uh, which shows the success and the uh, the, the the interest of that uh, um, of that fund class for 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 investors. Uh, if I look at uh, the statistics that I that I had as far as um, Luxembourg funds are concerned, uh, Luxembourg funds being mainly pan-European funds. Huh? Um, uh, we uh, interestingly, 61% of those funds, and that that is based on Alfi figures uh, of um, the last Alfi survey of uh, autumn 2019. So 61 of those uh, funds are closed-ended funds, while 39% are open-ended, which is quite high. I mean, I was surprised when I looked at those figures. I must uh, I must say. Of course, there are different types of open-ended funds, and I think we'll discuss uh, uh, the different types of funds a bit uh, a bit later. But um, again, it's an important uh, an important class of uh, uh, an important class of, uh, of of funds. So um, obviously. Uh, those funds uh, again um, need to be managed well. So we know uh, that even before the crisis, a major uh, UK uh, real estate manager had to suspend uh, redemptions on, uh, on on its flagship uh, uh, real estate funds. So the, the funds are not without. Issues so that happened in December 2019. Um, most people will have heard of it. We also know that uh, the FCA has reviewed its uh, its liquidity management criteria for open-ended investment funds also in 2019, so before the crisis. Um, so that means that um, uh, open-ended funds are interesting uh, fund class, uh, but also a fund class which has to be. Uh, managed with great uh, with great care. Um, so the interesting question, of course, is: um, Do we know, or can we assess whether now, uh, during the last month, so the COVID month, um, uh, what the impact of the COVID crisis has been on on those funds? And I would turn to Rodrigo: uh, Do we have a sense already on how those funds fared during the crisis? Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, thank you, Pierre. Um, well, we, we, we should uh, understand that uh, a COVID crisis is not uh, the same type of crisis as the financial crisis in 2008. Um, in, in 2008, we, we had indeed a, 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 an actual liquidity issue from the beginning, and it lasted uh, very long. Um, and here, we, we acknowledge that uh, COVID-19 is impacting business and markets globally. It's impacting uh, the, the real economy. But uh, we have also to, to take note that uh, redemptions, for instance, have not uh, yet been the main concern for the moment. 
Um, instead, some investment managers uh, have been faced um, with certain uncertainty on pricing. Other than talking about liquidity, we're talking about pricing in respect of both the underlying assets and as a consequence, the investment vehicles themselves. So at this stage, uh, I would say um, we, we have to, to distinguish a little, a little bit the two, and that's why uh, we are going to cover these components uh, during this session today, the, uh, the devaluation component and then um, the liquidity. Of course, not being able to value may trigger uh, certain risks and uh, certain um, additional uh, uh, fears that may lead then to liquidity issues down the road. Um, but uh, that's uh, uh, at least so far our, um, our perception of the market and uh, what we've been seeing so far. Thank you, Rodrigo. Um, Bjartian, um, Porotis is managing an open-ended uh, real estate fund with quite substantial AUM. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Why, why an open-ended fund? Uh, what does it do? Um, how big is it? Uh, yeah. As, as, as mentioned, we, we have uh, almost all our assets that we have in uh, Europe in uh, co-investment uh, co vehicles. And uh, we have made the, uh, the conscious decision that we want to market on a continuous basis and offer to investors a, uh, actually a way to get in and out and grow at the same time. So uh, that's why uh, already since this fund 2007, but even before that, we had a fund since 1999 with uh, similar uh, characteristics. So we, we, we are in this business ready for a long time for a very conscious uh, decision, trying to get investor interest uh, across the board um, in, in, into our asset class. Um, so yeah, that's why we've chosen for open-ended vehicles, uh, Pierre. Thank, thank you very much. Um, so now let's get a bit more technical. Um, so Rodrigo mentioned it, valuation is an important topic in an open-ended real estate fund. You need to be able to value the assets in order to be able to redeem and to issue uh, units of shares. Um, so what, what are the concrete difficulties during a, a, a crisis in terms of valuation? Okay, well, maybe I can start and then Gertian uh, can jump in. Um, again, I think we have to keep in mind we're talking about two types of valuation. We're talking about valuation of the underlying assets and then, uh, as a consequence of that, the essence of the NAV, which has to be calculated. Right. Um, so if the underlying assets cannot be properly evaluated, evaluated then we have a potential issue at the level of the fund. Um, the, the valuation of the underlying assets uh, is subject to the appraisal of independent valuers. Uh, in times of market uncertainty, uh, the, uh, the volatility or, or, or other stress factors, such as uh, the ones we are, we are um, facing today, the independent appraisers uh, may be reticent to provide a firm statement on the final price of the assets. And then uh, they will potentially qualify their reports. So this is an, an initial uh, potential complication because in certain instances, the, um, the, the, um, the appraisers may issue reports with material uncertainty clause due to the, uh, the unknown effects of COVID. Um, and then they would use that uh, for, for, for reverting to the funds. Um, so, 
Where, where did they come from to, to issue those uh, qualifications on, the, on their statements? Basically, um, well, it, it depends, of course, on the sector. Uh, if we take um, offices, logistics, residential, they are not behaving in the same way as the leisure, hotels, or retail, or uh, depending on the geography of those sectors, the assets where they are located, um, the impact may vary. But um, if we take a core strategy, and uh, there are rents which are uh, received on a periodic basis, um, those payments of rents uh, become uncertain, and uh, the intrinsic value may be impacted by that. Um, in addition to that, the, uh, because of the, uh, the impact of the crisis on the real economy, the fundamentals of the industry uh, may also vary. We're talking here about the deflation, about unemployment, GDP, and, and then um, the independent values um, have these components to take on board when pricing a specific asset, and, um, and the uncertainty um, leads them to then qualifying their reports. So that, that's um, uh, what we've been seeing so far. Um, obviously, uh, it will vary from one sector to another, as I, as I mentioned. But maybe, uh, Gertian, as, as you are, are, are um, operating more on the uh, logistics side of the, of the business, uh, what, what are your thoughts about, uh, about that? Yeah, one, one, one other element, of course, is that uh, what also plays into the uh, values that, that, that independent appraisers issue is uh, they look at uh, deal uh, activity in the market. And obviously the deal activity also uh, slowed, slowed down paused, if you like. Uh, so that also um, makes it a bit more difficult than in normal circumstances to put, uh, put a value to, uh, to something. But uh, yes, in our case, uh, our, our asset class, uh, we, we do recognize that we are in unprecedented times, but uh, some areas are more impacted than, than, uh, than, than others. And our uh, niche, I would say, uh, logistic uh, real estate warehouses. There's actually quite a, uh, a demand. Uh, we, we're all these days buying uh, through the e-commerce channels, the online shops, and obviously these online shops need big warehouses to uh, package and send uh, to the end uh, uh, consumers. So, yes, we we um, uh, that's that's a big portion of our portfolio. Uh, and also we should realize that, uh, or that's actually what, what the market realized or companies realized, that maybe stock that companies held, uh, the amount of stock, uh, was maybe not uh, enough. So if people want to gear up more stock or have more stock, means more space, more warehouse space, means more uh, uh, square meters to rent from us in that case. So. We, we are maybe, and we do realize that we are in a special type of uh, real estate, but uh, uh, yes, so that's, that's where actually we come from. If I go to the quarterly uh, NAV, uh, once again, just for people that, that don't know, but our fund has uh, quarterly uh, NAV calculations. And uh, they, yes, indeed, we are dependent on independent uh, appraisers, the valuation committee, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's part of the uh, the, the quality evaluation, uh, but we also realize that this is not not new, right? We have seen this in 2008 and 9 uh, as well, uh, and only only a couple of years ago, Brexit also had uh, sometimes evaluation uh, wording uh, in their qualification. So, um, 
how we uh, looked at it, um, our asset class is relatively um, uh, not so much impacted as, as you mentioned, Rodrigo, the hotel sector and, and leisure and, 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 and other real estate uh, areas. Um, and we also shouldn't forget that those qualifications that were put in the reports of independent appraisers uh, are always a value uh, or a moment in time, right? So um, what those reports said it is a warning for the future. Um, some failures made it more clear than the others. Some uh, mentioned a 40 avoidance of doubt sentence in their uh, reports where they said 40 mm-hmm. avoidance of doubt, uh, yes, there is uncertainty, but we stand behind our values. So that is actually where we came from, and we issued a uh, quarter one NAV um, um, per the normal fund documentation that, that, that we have in place. Okay. Um, uh, interesting. So that gives us, gives us an idea on, uh, on how to deal with, with, with valuation issues. Um, maybe a, a, very, oh, a very technical question. Um, those valuation requirements uh, originate uh, in part in, uh, in the regulation, um, AFMD, uh, name it, uh, which uh, states in its Article 19 that there need to be regular evaluation at least once a year, uh, NAV calculations. Uh, now, we are in a situation where it might not be possible to provide those NAV calculations, and that raises also the questions, maybe you can combine those, uh, of the communication mm-hmm. with, uh, with regulators. Uh, how, how do you deal with those with those issues? Because the FMD doesn't say, oh, uh, there there uh, there is a, uh, there, there can be a crisis, then you don't have to report NAV. How do you deal with those issues? How do you uh, communi- communicate with the regulator on uh, on those issues? Yes, and uh, and I think it's, it's indeed a technical point, but uh, probably a, a crucial one, right? To see how, how yeah. to go through that. Um, well, evaluation. I think I would start by, by saying that it shall be addressed individually uh, on, on a, uh, an asset-by-asset asset basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, this means that it has to be discussed with the valuer really on a case-by-case basis. As Yefian was really just describing the, the way how um, the pricing is, uh, um, is identified for one, one asset may, may differ from another one. Um, and AIFMD provides for the requirements to value and price the assets and the NAV at fair value. This is a general concept. Um, but if it's not possible to value the relevant assets properly, then indeed we go a little bit out of what is expressly mentioned mm-hmm. in the directive. And then um, the identified concern and the reasons for the uncertainty shall be reported to the management body. Basically, there has to be an escalation process in place whereby the management body will have to decide to either accept or to refute the valuation proposed by the valuer. So somehow uh, the manager, and in this case the AFM, um, will have a, um, a two-fold role um, somehow, so to speak. Basically, the, uh, the AFM is ultimately responsible for the valuation of the funds and the assets. But this also means that um, um, the counterparty to that 
um, is the, um, the fact that the, the AFM is also free to either use or, dis or disregard the, um, the valueless valuation. And um, the AFM uh, is then, to that effect, um, expected to have and to apply its own valuation methodology. So um, it, it's really um, a matter of, um, of responsibility and uh, discretion, so to speak, on, on, on applying this, um, this concept. And in this, um, in this um, escalation process, we should not um, forget uh, the auditors, who at some point in time will be caught to um, verify, at least on an annual basis, um, the way how the, uh, this mechanism applied. So basically, the compliance with the process in place to reach the valuation. And it would indeed be, um, uh, be recommended to involve those auditors um, either upfront in the discussion, being pretty transparent with them, and we'll talk about regulators in a minute, uh, because um, it would be important that the auditors are also aligned on the methodology that uh, is potentially being used to um, accept or refute what uh, the, uh, the valuers are, are saying. And just to say a word about uh, the, the regulators, um, indeed, in the same way as uh, transparency is paramount towards the auditors, is also key towards the, uh, the regulators, as the, um, the CSF, at least in Luxembourg, would expect that processes are in place in order to reach such fair value, and if there is a switch, um, that uh, um, this uh, variation to methodology is well documented and uh, properly fitting the, uh, the processes that uh, the manager has put in place in order to um, deal with the contingency planning and, uh, and any other uh, measures related to uh, these type of risks. Thank you. Um, uh, okay, that, that's interesting. Um, maybe let's come back then to valuation and uh, less from a regulatory angle, look at it less from a regulatory angle, but more from an investor angle. Um, so how, how do you do um, to avoid undue transfers of value? So basically the situation is, uh, um, uh, investor coming in on the basis of the NAV, assume a pre-crisis uh, NAV, um, uh, so high price, uh, and uh, this uh, this uh, funds would then be used to pay out an, uh, a redeeming investor uh, who, who would again get a high price for an asset which may not uh, no longer have that value or at that particular moment may not have that value. One example, there are other, other examples of undue transfers. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how can you deal with those during the crisis? What do you do concretely? Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, maybe Yefian, I can start and then uh, uh, you, you can uh, mm -hmm. give your input from a practical perspective, mm -hmm. if, if, if you may. Um, yes, and indeed, uh, there, there are a number of, uh, of scenarios. You mentioned redemptions, but there is also in subscriptions. Um, and uh, distributions or, or even on acquisitions and disposals mm -hmm. of assets. So the, the thing is really to make sure that the two parties are getting the, the right pricing for, for their deal, right? Um, well, there, there are indeed mechanisms that uh, are typically contemplated. Um, and um, 
I think the, the key aspect there is that those mechanisms have to be expressly laid down in the constitutive documents of the fund. The fund terms and uh, um, if um, something uh, more uh, constrainful arises, the regulator's uh, guidance would prevail regarding uh, those, uh, the, those issues. So um, we do see in a number of funds and I think coming back to your very first question about uh, how we compare it to the 2008 crisis, I think one very good um, outcome of that is that uh, we learned from the crisis in 2008. And uh, um, most of the funds that we see today, open-ended funds, have embedded in one way or the other mechanisms, protective mechanisms to deal with, in particular, these kind of things but also on other aspects as liquidity, and we are going to cover that. And what we are thinking here about, we are talking about uh, the possibility to issue a temporary or an indicative NAV. So if the manager is not in a posi position to, to take a, 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 an affirmative um, stance on the actual value of the portfolio, to, um, to, to issue a NAV which would be more indicative for reporting purposes, and then, um, in case of uh, material uncertainty, to uh, postpone the, the, the actual reasons to a later stage. Of course, uh, in case of redemptions, it doesn't solve completely the problem because the, you have to, to, to deal with those redemptions. Mm. And then comes maybe a second um, a tool that is also um, in, in the toolbox, which is deferring redemption requests. So if the pricing can even not be ascertained in order to, to honor redemption requests, why not deferring the redemption request, again, according to in person to the fund documentation, or even suspending the NAV, third um, a potential tool in the toolbox, um, in a way that there is no dilution uh, when honoring a redemption request. Thank you. And uh, maybe, yes, well, yeah, maybe you can sure. complete this by the, by the business view uh, and yeah. uh, um, uh, tell us a bit what you have uh, seen during the crisis and how you have tackled those crises. Those, those yeah. First, first of all, we were in the uh, in in the circumstance that we uh, didn't need to call capital, right? I mean, that also plays uh, if if the acquisition market is sort of on hold, there's there, there's no uh, need to call capital. So we haven't been faced on a uh, on a practical matter to to issue new units uh, and actually to to draw capital. So, uh, but I think from that aspect, it, it uh, still boils, boils down how you believe, and coming back to what Rodrigo said, it's at the end of the day an AFM decision what the NAV is going to be. Uh, but, but if there are uh, good indications on top of what independent appraisers say, that uh, failures may hold up uh, what the uh, un underlying tenant basis in our case, so what is the income flow at the, at the end of the day, that's, that's where the rental income comes from. And then you should take a stand whether a value is right, right or wrong at the end of the day. But uh, again, we, we issued it, but we didn't need to use it for, for, for issuing uh, uh, any new, new capital. Uh, redemptions, uh, yes, we did have a uh, request, a re redemption request. Uh, which actually was not linked to uh, COVID-19, but it just happened in that phase. Uh, we were uh, talking, or that was in the air already for a while, but now now it happened. So in the, once again, not necessarily linked uh, to COVID-19. 
Uh, as Rodrigo explained, we have in our uh, toolbox of the fund to uh, first uh, 90 days uh, waiting period, right? So there's not an immediate exit uh, possible. Uh, also in line, of course, with the, uh, with the illiquid nature of, of real estate, you shouldn't allow uh, uh, imminent or uh, immediate exit. Uh, and then it's still the manager or we, the AFM, needs to consider uh, on a balanced consideration. That's how we look at it. Just look at the fund. Was anything planned to purchase? Uh, look at the redeemer. Look at the other investors. And with a balanced decision, we need to come to, to uh, whether we redeem or not. Right? Uh, that decision still has to be made uh, in full uh, transparency. Um, also, uh, in our fund documentation, there is the uh, mechanic that any uh, redemption portion is also offered to other unit holders. So that's also a nice tool or a good tool uh, to maybe not have to redeem in that instance. Uh, we are still in uh, the, the process, so I can't uh, disclose where we are uh, with that, but uh, that, that usually has, has been taken up uh, in the past. But again, we are in different times, but, uh, but I can't disclose anything of that. But that's also a good way to mitigate a redemption, to offer it to other unit holders to purchase. And that's, uh, again, per the fund documentation, what we, what we have done. So um, that's our um, view. Yeah. Okay. Um, very interesting. I would like to follow up on, 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 that, uh, on, on that question um, with, with a related question. So you, um, in an open-ended fund, um, even more so at least short-term than in a closed-ended fund, uh, investor trust is very important because in, in investors don't trust uh, the manager anymore while yep. they can withdraw, <laughs> they can redeem their shares. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, in a crisis situation, obviously investors, or I, I would at least expect investors to, uh, to be a bit worried about their investments and to want to have more information on, on uh, what the status of the investments are, what, uh, how, uh, uh, how, um, uh, uh, how the valuations evolve, how liquidity is being managed. How do you deal? How do you deal with your investors? How do you communicate with them? Do you communicate with, with them more during a crisis than in ordinary times? Uh, how do you address that? Uh, Pierre, that's very important. Um, mm. as, as, as explained in the beginning, we don't only mm. manage the fund, but we also, as a, as a company as a whole, manage the real estate itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are in direct contact with the tenants to find out whether they have some practical issues we can address uh, or, or, or other issues they may have uh, due to the lockdown, no lockdown. Uh, so yes, we first we, we look at the assets, look at the tenants, uh, but we have also immediately reported any results uh, to the investors, and we use it by means of a FAQ, frequently asked question document, okay. that we have sent to all unit holders and say, okay, uh, this might be your question. This is the answer we have uh, for you. So, uh, no, you, you, you're 100% spot on. Uh, we, we already uh, did the first uh, at the end of March, beginning April, uh, and, and uh, that we've done on a frequent basis and kept all the investors informed. And the feedback we have received is that, that that's, that's very well received. Uh, that they indeed know we're looking at the assets, 
looking at the income flow at the end of the day, the rental income stream, uh, and thus uh, managing their interest, managing their investment, managing their money uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. So yes, we have gone back to the investors on a very proactive uh, manner. So I guess if you do that, you don't really expect any challenges in the future to uh, what you have been doing. Well, you can never know, of course, but um, I would guess uh, as a long-term uh, uh, investor, um, keeping the communication with the, 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 the investors, uh, you're quite confident that you will be able to, to run all this smoothly and to get to the crisis uh, uh, smoothly. Well, we also should uh, realize our um, uh, investor base are the institutional uh, investors, and obviously they also have a long view, right? So um, they they also look beyond the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, and then again, uh, as as what you said and what I said, it's it is indeed very uh, important that they keep trust or have trust in uh, the manager. Uh, that again, their their money is well well managed. And, and, and looked after. Uh, so yes, uh, but once again, it depends on your investor uh, base if, if they have a shorter view or, or maybe a, a need to generate cash themselves. That's of course a, a different story. But yeah. uh, yes, a, a long-term view uh, helps in, in, in that case. Yeah. Right, and I would expect the real estate fund set up for retail investors to be under more pressure than uh, real estate funds set up uh, uh, for professional uh, in investors. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that, how that works out. Maybe back to you, Rodrigo. Uh, liquidity, we mentioned liquidity, another very important topic um, when, when speaking about uh, real estate funds, uh, open-ended real estate funds. So we know that AFMD uh, provides for enhanced liquidity management rules uh, as soon as the, the fund is uh, open-ended. Um, what else can you tell us about liquidity uh, management uh, uh, in, uh, in open-ended funds? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, well, that, this is what I, I was mentioning. The learnings of the, uh, the previous crisis um, are now being tested. Mm -hmm. um, basically, we are seeing that basically um, in most of the cases, we, we learned and learned well uh, the lessons. Uh, because indeed there are, there are a number of features that um, have um, over the years uh, been more and more uh, implemented uh, in fund documentation as um, let's say liquidity uh, features uh, so that we can um, uh, maybe not um, avoid the issue but at least deal with the issue in due course. So um, if I, I, I look at the, these toolbox again, uh, duly described in the fund documentation. What we see um, in practice are funds that uh, provide for um, uh, restrictions uh, and suspensions of uh, redemptions. This is, of course, a, an immediate uh, way of dealing with the liquidity, meaning that uh, you apply gatings or uh, redemption deferrals or even payment deferrals. You declare the redemption, but uh, you provide that the payment will only uh, take place a couple of months or, or sometime later, once liquidity is actually there in the in the portfolio, um, other features exist uh, which are not always um, well seen either by the manager or by the investors themselves, but which are uh, protections which can be used in due course. 
So, for instance, um, being able to provide for uh, distribution in kind uh, and then um, upstream the, um, uh, the, the, the assets instead of uh, uh, creating liquidity, simply transferring the ownership directly in the hands of the investors. It works more in the case of club deals and, and, and mm -hmm. smaller structures because you have a, a problem of valuation that is linked to that. Um, side pockets, uh, it works on, on much more liquid funds. In real estate funds, this is more difficult to apply, but uh, uh, still. Um, you can think about credit lines, the facilities in place, and the manager will not necessarily be very keen to draw on facilities and therefore increase leverage and, uh, and therefore expose the funds to other kind of risks, but still um, in, a, in, a, um, in a situation it could be a, an option. Um, another tool is uh, setting off subscriptions against uh, redemption. So if you have a queue line and that uh, you draw on the queue to basically exit investors, um, again, the investors may not be, the new investors may not be very uh, uh, happy to see that their money is not being invested, but how they're used to uh, exit others. But at the same time, um, if you have a longer uh, term view, it may, it may, it may mean something. Um, of course, uh, there are two other um, options. The first one is selling the assets, but then the risk is a fire sale and, and, and diluting your, 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 your portfolio or restructuring your funds. If your fund is not uh, um, providing for these tools or uh, the right mechanics, is basically coming back to the investor, disclosing the issue, speaking with them, and offering a restructuring so that mechanisms are put in place uh, to, to deal with this uh, difficult times um, and, uh, and address them. Maybe uh, uh, what I can say as well on liquidity, is that uh, in addition to AIFMD liquidity requirements that you, you mentioned, um, it would be good to keep in mind that TSF has issued uh, very recently a circular at the end of last year, December last year, circular 19-733, um, which is applicable to open-ended funds only. And so basically it refers to IOSCO recommendations regarding liquidity mechanisms. And in essence, basically, it's, uh, it, it's a reminds uh, and um, recalls concepts that we know somehow under AFMD, but goes a little bit uh, um, uh, further um, on the requirements to put in place contingency plans, um, stress tests regarding liquidity mechanisms to be applied very regularly, and um, pricing and gating provisions. So basically, um, the, the, these recommendations somehow ask those managers to, 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 to test the principles that have been created to see whether they know uh, in practice when, when, the, uh, when the moment comes. Thank you. So we have some lecture for tonight, uh, <laughs> to know. Um, the, um, uh, maybe my, my last, uh, coming to my last question. Um, well, in the wake of uh, and around the, um, uh, the, the redemption and liquidity issues faced by this, uh, by the UK, by this UK manager in December, um, there was a lot of, uh, um, uh, a lot of articles were published, a lot of so, and, and I went through those now for while preparing this, uh, this, 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 this webinar, and it's very interesting. Um, uh, so, open-ended funds. If 
you, if you read some of those articles, um, the, the future is, is, is bright for open ended funds. Uh, uh, and, and, and indeed, as I mentioned at the beginning, there were huge inflows in 2019. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a category which will develop. Uh, while other articles state, well, it's the end of open ended funds. Uh, and then with the COVID crisis, uh, it will never work. It, uh, so then, the, there's really this um, uh, diametral uh, opposition in. Uh, uh, in um, uh, opinions on on on, uh, on uh, open-ended funds, um, the, the million-dollar question: uh, uh, Does uh, one of you or both of you want to, in a couple of, just in a couple of seconds, uh, tell us their their opinion on open-ended funds and the future of open-ended funds? Well, sure. I mean, we we uh, are still uh, uh, raising capital. Uh, quarter one was, uh, of course, in the midst of uh, the whole COVID-19 and we were still able to raise a significant amount of capital. So that proves to me that there's still uh, very much appetite uh, for this uh, fund type. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I, we, we don't recognize uh, that there's less appetite in open-ended funds. Um, uh, but once again, it of course also depends heavily on the asset class you're in. Uh, but the open-ended fund type as such, uh, we, we, we don't see that there's less appetite for that. The answer that I would have expected. Rodrigo, yeah. anything to add? Um, I will probably keep the, the positive note as well. Um, basically, um, the, the open-ended structure um, allows for an exit route, a potential exit route to the investors. Be them professional investors, institutional uh, or less professional, and uh, when I refer to less professional, I, I'm referring to discussions that uh, have been taking place now at um, a more political level um, in terms of uh, widening the, um, the, the scope of uh, AFMD uh, potentially to semi-professional investors, um, whereby the investors may want to have the possibility to, to exit uh, in due course, but before the term of the fund. Um, I, I think to the extent that uh, the, the fund is well-structured with the right mechanisms um, alongside those that we described uh, a little bit, um, of, of course, depending on the strategy of the fund, um, the, the open-ended uh, type of vehicle will not, um, uh, for instance, be suitable for um, a, um, a, a more aggressive strategy. Um, if you are um, developing and uh, you have a J-curve kind of a, mm -hmm. a, a strategy, uh, it would be very difficult to basically combine with the concepts of an open-ended fund. But if we are talking about core or core plus type of strategies, um, which have a recurrent um, income flow, um, and Connecting that to mechanisms that um, that allow for um, navigating through stressing periods such as the, the current crisis, I, I think it's still something that um, uh, can be attracted both for the investors but also for for managers. This is something that we have seen evolving over over the years, and um, if you look at the um, the, the largest uh, real estate managers. All of them have at least one flagship, which is, by the way, an open-ended fund. 
which as uh, Yertian has mentioned at the beginning, is something that is considered as a long-term um, 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 implication involvement into a strategy with a view to keep growing over time, potentially, and therefore all offering to investors maybe the possibility to enter into reserve club deals, closed-ended funds with, which are dedicated to specific type of assets and portfolios, but also being able to come in and out um, under certain conditions and rules uh, over a period of time. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so it's an additional tool which is there to stay and uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll see uh, about the growth, but uh, there will be uh, open-ended funds in the future. We, um, we are getting questions, uh, since we, come, we came to the end of the session. Um, I'll, uh, maybe I'll read those out and then uh, either of you guys may, may, may respond. Uh, so the first question is, what if we think to switch from, fair value, from, the fair, from the fair value valuation method to a net cost valuation method in, uh, uh, in, uh, um, um, in times of uncertainty? Uh, if the external uh, value may basically caveat the, 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 the valuation. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think this, uh, this question uh, is an interesting one. Um, of course, the, the, it, it will come to the AIFM's responsibility to determine whether uh, it, such a switch um, uh, can be justified and, and applied or not based on, on the facts, based on the subjective analysis of the, the case at hand, and in particular on, based on the methodology that um, uh, they have put in place in order to, to, to deviate potentially from the, um, the, the fair value concept and the mechanism to, to value the assets. Um, it's difficult to give a general answer to that, to say we can do it at all times. It will be an analysis on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm. Um, my immediate reaction is that we just have to be cautious with the um, dilutive effect that you were um, talking through at the beginning and um, the, the transfer of value issue and uh, the, the risk of basically um, uh, having one or the other party in case of a redemption Suffering the, um, the, the the fallback, uh, the, the drawback of the um, uh, of the adjustment. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that uh, it can be uh, properly evidenced that um, it's uh, the right decision, why why not? But with cautious. May also depend on the life cycle of the fund. If you just mm -hmm. bought the asset, it may make sense. Mm -hmm. But if the asset is there for uh, I don't know many years, mm -hmm. then uh, it may be difficult to justify an net cost valuation. I don't know, Mirtian, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I can see the stability um, that will run out of it. Um, but, um, yeah, well, we, 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 we base our fund on uh, fair value, uh, and, and that's the way we're going to do it. But uh, I can sort of see that it would create some sort of uh, uh, stability, but that um, will cause the whole fund documentation to be changed. Uh, Etc. Yeah. But uh, it's it's interesting. Well, you you can always choose as an AFM, right, to to choose another um, uh, way in 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 certain times of uncertainty. You you mm -hmm. could let's quote unquote overrule what the independent appraisers say. So you you might as AFM say, okay, rather than uh, telling or taking what the independent appraisers say, I'll 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 just use whatever I paid for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and so there, there may be also a potential tax uh, issue as well to, to be examined because the, the structuring often is that the, the fund invests indirectly through SPVs and then these SPVs hold the assets. So um, if you change the way how you're pricing, it means that you may be trapping uh, value there and then crystallizing potential gains, which are um, basically uh, simply uh, put forward to a later stage mm. when, whenever you're going to realize the assets. And, so, and then this is also something that should be uh, borne in mind. The next question, um, uh, does it still make sense to propose uh, open-ended funds to investors who intend to stay in the fund for five to ten uh, years? So does that still uh, does that still make sense? Of course, they can then redeem their shares earlier, but their initial intent is to stay in the fund for five to ten years. Mm -hmm. I guess the answer is yes, but maybe uh, Gert, uh, Gertian has a. Uh, I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe um, uh, an interesting uh, information. I don't know how 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 far you can disclose that, but. Uh, uh, do you have an idea, Gertian, on, on the, um, the, the, um, the period of time that investors would uh, remain in this kind of uh, open-ended fund? Our, sure. Our, our experience is uh, for a very long time. Uh, this person or this entity that uh, handed in his redemption request is there almost for uh, 15 years. So, um, yeah, well, once again, our experience is once they're in, they're in for the uh, long term. Mm -hmm. But again, our uh, audience is, of course, institutional investors, long-term view, uh, et cetera. But yes, our experience is for the long term. But, and, and I haven't checked that, but there may be an interest from a Solvency two perspective because you create more liquidity and the investment would be um, uh, uh, in, a more, um, uh, in a more liquid Category and require less less own capital. Not not checked, but I'm, I guess that might be an argument. But what what we have seen in the last few years as well is something in between. Um, we have seen a few funds which have been created as semi-open-ended funds. So these are very long-term funds, or uh, maybe even uh, without um, a limited duration, mm. um, which provide for liquidity windows. So every five or ten years, mm -hmm. they would open the fund to redemptions. So they create this sort of comfort that uh, there will be no liquidity during the, these um, five or ten years. But they organize themselves so that um, at some point in time, investors are able to exit. And therefore, they, they can redeem, but without necessarily putting the entire fund into liquidation. The fund continues, and basically you, you start for a new period and so on. Mm. Um, we, we have seen a couple of funds uh, going through this kind of a hybrid setup, which uh, uh, requires some liquidity management, but also still allows for some long-term view on the portfolio without having to, to start uh, realizing and fire-sailing assets uh, from time to time. Okay, I think we, um, uh, our time has uh, expired, basically. Uh, so thank you very much uh, uh, to the speakers, of course, uh, and in particular Gertian uh, for his insights. Uh, thank you also for, to all the attendants uh, to the conference with that uh, beautiful weather. So those who had the courage to stay, uh, thank you very much. I hope you uh, learned something. And uh, um, well, maybe you can announce uh, our next, the idea for the next uh, 
yeah. webinar. Yes. So um, this um, uh, this webinar uh, fills, um, fits into a series uh, that we are organized. We have our we had our first one uh, one month ago. Um, we already have a topic for our next one. Now we are going to um, to, to to go through this uh, summer season. So um, the, our next. Um, session will be just after the summer break, um, around end of September, and uh, we'll be covering um, the uh, tax and regulatory updates and in, on structuring in key pan-European jurisdictions. So we are going to to, to uh, organize um, a, um, a pretty wide overview on what is coming. What is already there? What is coming uh, soon in terms of um, structuring both at the, uh, the levels of the vehicle and the intermediary uh, vehicles? That uh, um, is basically reshuffling a little bit the way how we uh, we we, um, we set up the fund. So stay tuned. We are going to uh, uh, circulate details on dates and uh, and uh, speakers and uh, um, the topic more, more specifically uh, in the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this webinar. You can register for our next webinars on the event and training page of our website www.arent.com.